Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 149. We'll continue in the book of Zechariah with a brief summary of chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about how symbols get made. In the previous episode of TanakhCast, the prophet Zechariah was having a series of visions, each one more obscure than the previous one. But don't worry, there was an angel who offered all kinds of exposition and explanation, so the meaning was plain and clear. In chapter 5, this angel continues his good work. Zechariah recounts that, quote, The angel who talked with me came back and woke me as a man is wakened from sleep. He asks Zechariah, What do you see? And Zechariah says that he sees a lampstand, a seven-branched menorah of gold with a bowl above it. Each branch has seven pipes, and next to this very elaborate menorah are two olive trees. This seems like a pretty meaningful vision, don't you think? Well, Zechariah thinks so too, but he can't quite make heads nor tails of it. So the angel soon explains that, quote, And this is a message to Zerubbabel, the leader of the returnees. In other words, you won't need anything if God is with you, especially if you finish rebuilding the second temple. Chapter 5 brings in a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. That's about 10 by 5 meters or about 30 by 15 feet, which is the size of most suburban living rooms. What's all that about? Quote, that is the curse which goes out over the whole land, but only the wicked and immoral will have to worry about that. The next vision is a bit curious. Quote, I asked, what is it? And he said, this tub that is approaching, this, said he, is their eye in all the land. And behold, a disc of lead was lifted, revealing a woman seated inside the tub. That, he said, is wickedness. And thrusting her down into the tub, he pressed the leaden weight into its mouth. I don't get it. 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 So Zechariah looks again, and he sees two women soaring with the wind with storks' wings, and they swoop in and carry off the tub. Where are they taking the tub, Zechariah asks. To Shinar, the angel says, to Babylon. Chapter 6, the last vision and a more conventional one, four chariots pulled by horses of varying colors. The angel explains... They represent the four winds of heaven, each heading in a different direction to, quote, range the earth. But the chariot that heads northward has a special mission to pay special attention to events unfolding there. Hmm. Then, God commands Zechariah to go to specific people's households, those that recently arrived from Babylon, and ask them for gold and silver to make crowns, one for the high priest, Yehoshua ben Yehotzadak, and one for the other leader, referred to as the branch, who will rebuild the temple and rule over the people. Chapter 7 begins with a calendar date, the fourth year of King Darius, specifically the fourth day of the ninth month, Kislev, when God messages Zechariah again to answer the question about whether public mourning for the destruction of the first temple should continue. Quote, when you fasted and lamented in the fifth and seventh months, all these 70 years, did you fast for my benefit? And when you eat and drink, who but you does the eating and who but you does the drinking? Oh, damn! Because it's not like the people didn't have a sense why the first temple was destroyed, and it's not like the people hadn't heard the word of God from God's prophets before the destruction, warning them about their bad behavior. But, quote, they refused to pay heed. They presented a balky back and turned a deaf ear. And on that chastening note, here endeth the lesson. 
I like flags. I like the choice of colors, the iconography. And I also marvel at the process by which combining these two processes onto a piece of cloth motivates people to kill each other in large numbers. But that's kind of a discussion for another time. For now, I'm talking flags, specifically the national symbols that often grace them. In this selection from Zechariah, we are witness to a strange vision involving menorahs and olive trees, which, if you have an eye for design and a good memory, should remind you of a certain country's national emblem. And the thing is, when you actually pause to consider how an emblem becomes an emblem, it might take the shine off that emblem for just a moment, which might prevail upon some people to be less motivated to go out and kill each other in large numbers, which some folks might consider a good thing. But what's the workflow and what's the process? How did we get from Zachariah to official government lectern decoration? The story is actually quite enlightening, but definitely not ennobling. And the short answer is... By committee. Yes, the emblem of the state of Israel, the menorah flanked by two olive branches, was decided by committee, the committee for the emblem and the flag. Discussions began on June 7th, 1948. For the Zionist historians out there, that's a little more than three weeks after David Ben-Gurion declared the state's independence. The discussion about the emblem was simultaneous to the discussion about the flag, but unlike the discussion about the flag, which had to contend with previous flags, specifically the flag of the Histadrut, which had two blue stripes, and the flag of the Zionist movement, which had seven stars, neither had an emblem. And it's not like the Jewish people ever had an emblem or conceived of the need for designing one, and thus there really wasn't a need to discuss, you know, preserving a past tradition. But there was still the tension between the religious and the secular, which was manifest in the two symbols that the Committee for the Emblem and the Flag kind of settled upon, the lion and the menorah. The lion is a common symbol, articulating strength and power, heroism and authority. The lion is the king of the jungle. In contrast, the menorah is a uniquely Jewish symbol. Its ancient roots go back to the temple in Jerusalem, to temple ritual, Jewish religion, as well as Jewish history, as it also evokes the exile following the temple's destruction and the return to Zion 38 years later. But how did the committee come up with these two symbols? They actually didn't. There was a nationwide contest, and people submitted their designs, and the committee members sifted through 450 submissions from about 164 participants. When the committee settled on the menorah, they began to more closely scrutinize the designs. The one I'm about to discuss will be posted at thenextjew.com. The thing is, we all know what a lion looks like but none of us have seen the original menorah. So the submissions had to be based on history, archaeology, and some imagination. One of the leading contenders, Ote Wallish and W. Strusky, integrated the menorah as rendered on the relief sculpture found in the Arch of Titus in Rome, when the Romans paraded the menorah as a trophy of victory after sacking the temple in 70 CE. They simplified the shape into a sort of schematic negative in white, displayed against a light blue background. Above the menorah, they added a band of white with seven golden stars to represent the flag Herzl wanted for the Jewish state, with the seven stars standing in for the seven-hour workday he envisioned for the future citizens of the Jewish state. 
The committee liked the menorah, but didn't like the seven stars. So what would replace it? The committee was expanded to include additional experts in architecture, archaeology, and painting and art. One of the new proposals submitted to the Emblem and Flag Committee was rendered by graphic artists Itamar David and Yerachmiel Schechter. David and Schechter supplemented the familiar menorah and seven stars with the inscription Shalom al Yisrael, Peace over Israel, and stylized depictions of a lulav and shofar. They also redesigned the menorah, opting instead to model it after the menorahs found in the mosaic floors of ancient synagogues in Eretz Yisrael. This would bring even more ritual objects that alluded to Jewish holidays into the emblem. Ultimately, the committee rejected David and Schechter's design, and the suggestion box was opened yet again to the public. This time, 131 persons responded to the notice in the press, and most of the designs incorporated the menorah motif. It was in this round that the brothers Maxim and Gavriel Shamir submitted their design. They placed a stylized menorah in the center, with each of the seven branches crowned by a star, flanked on each side by olive branches. According to Gavriel Shamir, this is how the design involved. Quote, After we decided to use the menorah, we looked for another element and concluded that olive branches are the most beautiful expression of the Jewish people's love of peace. The leaves are also a very decorative element. Now we face the question of which menorah to use. We decided on a stylized version rather than an ancient form. Our intention was to create a modern emblem without Jewish traditional symbols. We told ourselves that the menorah itself is an ancient symbol and its very presence on the seal constitutes a traditional element, but its shape should be modern. But apparently the Shamir brothers' menorah was too modern, so the committee asked them to prepare another design using Titus's menorah. The message in this was very clear. Just as the relief representing Titus's triumph symbolized the destruction of the Jewish state in 70 CE, so its rebirth would be symbolized by the return of the menorah, if not to the temple, then to the newly born state of Israel. And so after the Shamir brothers incorporated the menorah from the Arch of Titus into their design, the committee adopted it unanimously. What's fascinating about the committee's work and discussion is that they were convinced by wetting the menorah with the olive branches, they were making the connection between the state and the value of peace. But Zechariah beat them to it thousands of years before. The connection between the Jewish polity and peace is explicitly present in this section of Zechariah. The prophet saw the menorah with his own eyes in the second temple, and it's reasonable to assume that the two olive trees around it supplied the oil to the diaspora that had stored it in the cups of the menorah itself. As Zechariah tells us. The two branches of the olive symbolize the two sons of Yitzhar, the two rulers who would lead the people in antiquity, one spiritual and the other political, or in modern times, one religious and the other secular. Zechariah saw it all then so clearly, but it took thousands of years for the Shamirs to see it and to put it to paper, where it was adopted unanimously by the Provisional Council of the State of Israel on the 11th of Shvat, 5709, or February 10th, 1949 in the secular calendar. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High.
I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 150 when we continue in the book of Zechariah with chapters 8 through 11.